Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3. We're continuing our study through the great book of Philippians that we're calling Finding Joy Even When You Don't Feel It, because when you don't feel it, that's when you need to go and find it. And we're studying the great book of Philippians during one of the most crazy, chaotic, hectic, and uncertain seasons that maybe we ever will go through in our lives lifetime, COVID-19. And we chose this book of the Bible for two reasons. One, because we really do want you to be able to find joy no matter the circumstance. But two, we want to show you that the Bible speaks to any situation, any circumstance, any season of life that we might find ourselves in. And as we've been going through the book of Philippians each week, the Apostle Paul, he's been addressing a certain emotion or feeling that we might be experiencing. And that really goes to show that this book is not just any book. This is the book that God wrote. If you're new to redemption, you need to understand that we love the Bible. We believe the Bible. We are a Bible teaching, Bible preaching, Jesus loving, gospel centered church. And that's because that we believe that the Bible is the final and the authoritative life and rule for a Christian. That we believe God's word is true. God's word is trustworthy. God's word is timeless. Therefore, it is all always timely. And we have a very timely word for you today, and it's finding joy even when you feel anxious. Today, we are going to see the number one downloaded verse that there is in the Bible. In 2019, this was the most searched, the most downloaded verse on the internet, the most highlighted verse on Kindle and on YouVersion app. It was the most searched for a verse. And here's what that verse is. Philippians 4, 6. I'm going to go ahead and read it to you. And here's what it says. Do not be anxious for anything. How many of you, that's a very timely word right now, because the apostle Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but we live in a day and age where we are anxious about everything. When COVID-19 first happened, Many people's first response was that of anxiety. What's going to happen? What are we going to do? What does this mean? What if I get sick? What if I lose my job? What if I lose my finances? What's going to happen in this moment, in this situation? There was great anxiety that came from it. Well, as we've been going on for several weeks, we're nearing the light at the end of the tunnel and businesses and churches and other places are beginning to reopen. Guess what we're feeling again? We're feeling anxiety. We had anxiety about things closed. And now we're having anxiety about things opening. We're having anxiety about losing our jobs. And now many people are experiencing anxiety about going back to work. We were experiencing anxiety about schools closing. And now we're experiencing anxiety about daycares or schools reopening. And it's a, it's an anxiety, a fear and a worry that many of us are feeling. And so today we're going to speak directly to that anxiety. And the apostle Paul is going to give us a few ways that we can find joy, even when we are anxious. How many of you, this is a timely word for you? This is a very timely word because we're feeling anxious. And what clinical psychologists will tell you is this, that anxiety starts in the mind and then it begins to manifest itself in the body. Me and my wife, we actually went through this not too long ago in our home, that every year my wife, she would actually get sick and she would begin to lose weight and she would begin to feel uneasy. And then as she got sick, we figured out what's going to happen to her. So we took her to the doctor and the doctor asked her, said, is there any stress or anxiety or any reason or life changes that you've been going through that might cause this? And she said, well, I am married to a pastor and I have two toddlers. And the doctor's like, yep, that's going to do it. That's anxiety. She said, well, is there anything I can do? Well, she can't divorce me, praise the Lord. So we're going to have to learn how to manage some of the anxiety and stress that she's feeling. So pray for my wife because she has to put up with me. 
but it manifests itself in the body, but it begins in the mind. And so what they say is there's a couple of ways that your body is going to give you some symptoms, signs, or clues at whether or not you're feeling anxious. I'm going to read some of these and you just take a score. Let me know how you do. If you want to tell, are you anxious? One way you can do it is interrupted sleep patterns. So you can't go to sleep. You can't stay asleep. You can't fall asleep or you take three naps a day just to be able to make it. Okay. That's anxiety. Another one is irritability. Things that used to not bother you all of a sudden they are world war three. If that's you, irritability is a sign of anxiety, aggressive driving. Hey, the other day I was driving down the road and there was a guy in a big truck. He just pulls up really close, like this far from my bumper. And I turned around and was like, Hey buddy, I don't know you that well. You got to buy me dinner first. If you know what I'm talking about, there was some aggressive driving on his part, probably feeling a little anxious. There's some other signs like canker sores, cold sores, weight loss, weight gain. Maybe it's the Oreos. Maybe it's the stress brain fog. The other day I was standing in the living room and my wife walks in and she says, what are you doing? And I said, I don't know. How did I even get here? How long have I been standing here? And she's like, you've been standing there for like five minutes. And I was just off in la la land. Didn't know what I was doing. Didn't know how I got there or how long I'd been. That's called brain fog. Okay. Fantasies about dying, running away, quitting your job, getting divorced. Or if you're a Christian, the rapture. You're like, Lord Jesus, in a twinkling of an eye, this could all be over. I've been reading Left Behind, and I don't know if it's pan-trip, post-trip, mid-trip, but if you could just get this going, I would be really happy. Or escapist behavior. So this could be addictions like alcoholism, drug addiction, workaholic. You're overworking yourself because you don't want to deal with your problems. This could be anything like playing video games until 3 o'clock in the morning. Ethan Berwick, I'm looking at you. This could be anything like binge watching all 16 seasons of Grey's Anatomy over the weekends. Okay, Georgie dies. So anyway, others, I just gave you all anxiety. You're like, did, it, did he just ruin it for me? Absolutely, because you don't need to watch that show. Anyway, do you have anxiety? Do you have frustration? Do you have fear? Do you have worry? Are you experiencing anxiety? The Apostle Paul says that it is possible for you to find joy even when you are feeling anxious. If you have any of those symptoms, you have what psychologists would say acute anxiety syndrome. Okay, and it's acute anxiety, and that's not because it's cute, okay? That's not what he means by acute. It means that it is seasonal, it is circumstantial, that it is only a moment of your life, and I just want to encourage you, it is not forever. There is a way for you to experience joy even when you are experiencing anxiety, because the Apostle Paul writes this book where he says, be anxious for nothing. So there is a way for you to do that. And if you want to do that, you're going to have to make some big decisions. You're going to have to make some choices. They tell you when you're feeling anxious not to make big decisions because that's how you end up with bangs and quarantine cuts. Amen. They say don't make big decisions when you're stressed or worried or anxious, but I'm going to tell you the opposite. I'm going to tell you that today you need to make the biggest decision of your life. You need to choose joy because the truth is joy really is a choice that you have a choice to choose faith or fear worry or worship, anxiety or joy. And so I want you today to make some big decisions and to choose joy. So Paul's going to give us three choices we need to make. And the first choice, if you have your Bible, we're in Philippians chapter three, verse 17, where he says, you have to make a choice. Will you live in the kingdom or will you live in the culture? In this life, we all have to make choices. And the quality of life really depends on the decisions and the choices that we make. Paul's going to tell us the best way and how we can experience the greatest quality of life or joy. And starting in verse 17, he says this, brothers, join in me in imitating. Do you want to find joy? Okay. Paul's saying, I know the way to joy. I've been where you've been. I've gone through what you've gone through. I have felt what you're feeling and I've come through on the other side. And I want to teach you and tell you how you can find joy. Where is Paul writing this from? He's writing from prison. He's 
probably feeling a little anxious. He's riding from prison 800 miles away from his friends and his family. He has no wife or kids. He, even if he gets out of prison, he's still going to be homeless. He has nowhere to go to. He's dirt broke poor. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die chained to a Roman guard. If anybody has a right or a reason to be anxious, it would be Paul. But Paul is saying, hey, brothers, sisters, church, if you want to find joy, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. He's saying this way to joy. But verse 18 goes on and says, for many of whom I have often told you and now even tell you with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross. Not everybody is a friend of Jesus. Some people, they resist Jesus. They reject Jesus. And by doing so, they become enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. And their minds are set on earthly things. What he's saying is that if you're looking for joy in this world, well, you're going to end in destruction. That it's going to end in depression. It's going to end in death. It's going to end in frustration, despair, and ultimately destruction. If you're looking for your joy or contentment and happiness and from the things that the world has to offer, you're going to pursue that in such a way where at the very end, it does not lead to joy. It leads to destruction. I want to tell you this very clearly. If you are not a Christian, this is the end of your life. This is where you're heading. This is the direction that you are going. That in this life, it's not all that there is. There is another world. There is another life coming. And people say you only live once. And that's true. But one time is a long time. And the reality is heaven is real. Hell is hot. And forever is a long time. And the decisions that you make today determine the quality of life that you live forever. As a Christian, this life is as close to hell as you will ever be. And heaven awaits you. But if you are not a Christian, this life is as close to heaven as you will ever get. And your end will be destruction. Death, Hades, and hell are waiting for you. Friends, I love you. I care about you. But today is the day that you didn't make the most important decision of your life. Your decision to follow after Jesus and not to live in the culture, but rather to live in the kingdom. That's what he says next in verse 20. But our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. He's juxtaposing the difference between living in the culture and living in the kingdom. As Christians, we are the counterculture. The Bible says that we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. We live, we behave, we act, we function in different ways. This is the kingdom of God. This is what he says next. And from it, we await a savior. Who's that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus comes, lives the perfect life we could never live, dies and forgives us of our sins, removes the guilt, shame, and the condemnation that we've experienced. He comes and he gives us a new life, a new hope, a new purpose, and then he transforms after this death and the resurrection of our body to be like his glorious body by the power, that's the Holy Spirit, that enables him to subject all things to him Self. What Paul is saying is that we may live on this earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. That he's establishing a culture or a kingdom. He's letting you know that your citizenship is in heaven. That you may have been born in America, but you're born again to live in heaven. That American may be your nationality, but Christian is your identity. And he's getting at this big understanding that this world is not our home. And that we are to live in a way that is indicative and reflective of the kingdom of God. Basically, there's two ways for a person to live. There's two choices you need to make. Will you live in the culture or will you live in the kingdom? And Paul is really getting at begging you and pleading you and wanting you to understand that God's way is the best way, that there is a way to life and that is through the kingdom of God. But just like the book of Proverbs says that there is another way to man that looks right in his own eyes, but in the end, it leads to destruction. The ways of the world and culture end in destruction. The ways of the word and the kingdom, they end in life. That God wants you to actually have a great quality of life. I wholeheartedly believe that God wants you to experience joy. God wants you to experience flourishing. God wants you to mature, be holy, happy, healthy, and whole. And God wants you to experience the greatest quality of life. In fact, Jesus even says this in John 10, 10. He says that I have come to give you life and life abundantly. And the big idea is this. God's way is the best way. 
God's way is the best way. Let me give you an example that happened this week in the Ella's house. My daughter, Esther, she is three years old. That means she is what they call a three-nager. Parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They talk about the terrible twos, but that ain't got nothing on the three-nager. She pushes her boundaries, and she always says no, and she's always trying to see how much she can get away with, and she is in trouble a lot. So y'all can please pray for us. See, what Esther thinks as a three-year-old, the greatest quality of life is eating ice cream and popsicles for breakfast. True story. She wants ice cream and popsicles for breakfast. She wants to play outside in the rain with nothing but her panties on. That's what she thinks is the greatest quality of life. But that's not what's best for her. As a father, I know what's best for her. I want her to grow. I want her to mature. I want her to have joy, but I also want for her to have the best quality of life, which means sometimes as a parent, I have to say no because I know what's best. So an example was the other day we were playing outside and then it got quiet. And as parents, you know, when it's quiet, that's not a good thing. And I turn around and Esther is running right into the street. She had got out of the backyard. She's running down the driveway and she is heading to the neighbor's yard because she wants to pick one of the neighbor's flowers. And as a dad, I see her and I run and just before she gets to the street, I grab her and I pick her up and I bring her all the way back inside the house and I sit her down and I say, no, we do not do that. We do not run in the middle of the street. You do not run away from daddy. And she's screaming, she's crying. She is is freaking out. And so I begin to discipline her and I sit her down and this is how I do it every single time. Little parenting tip. When I discipline my daughter, I look her right in the eyes and I say, who am I? And she says, you're my daddy. I said, that's right. I'm your daddy. And I said, do you know that your daddy loves you? And she says, yes, my daddy loves me. I said, do you know that your daddy wants what's best for you? She says, yes, my daddy wants what's best. And then I say, you need to listen to me then because your life will go a lot better when you learn to listen to your daddy. That's the same way that God is, that God is a father. So when he talks about living in the kingdom, you can kind of think about it as living in the father's house, that there are ways in which we live in the father's house because these ways lead to the greatest quality of life. As parents, you want this for your kids. God wants this same thing for you. He wants for you to know that his way is the best way. God's word, God's will, God's way is the best way of life. See, the culture would say popsicles and ice cream for breakfast is a great thing. Okay, but as parents, we know that that's not a good thing. That's kingdom living, says God's way is the best way. See, the culture would say, go play in the road. Who can tell you what to do? You're three years old. You have your whole life waiting in front of you. You do what you want to do. If it feels good, do it. There's no one that can judge you. Well, as a father, I have the responsibility to judge my daughter. God the Father, he will judge us. And when you live in the culture, you You're nothing more than a three-year-old trying to tell an infinite God what to do. It's not going to work. That's not the best way. That is not the greatest quality of life that God has for you. Living in the kingdom leads to the greatest quality of life because God's way is the best way. If my daughter would play in the street, guess what her end would be? It would be destruction. There is a way living according to the culture that leads to destruction, but there is a way living in the kingdom of God that leads to a greatest quality of life. So the apostle Paul, he gives us a couple of things about living in the culture. He says that their God is their bellies. What that means is if you follow your wants and your needs and you live a hedonistic lifestyle pursuing nothing but pleasure, eventually all you will worship is a mirror. You will bow down at the altar of self and you will follow your desires and needs until they lead to a place of anxiety and frustration. He says that their glory is their shame, that they begin to rejoice in things that God hates. They celebrate things that God does not tolerate. They throw parades for things they should have funerals and they call good evil and evil good and light darkness. They have it completely antithetical and backwards to God's way. Their glory is their shame. For some of you, this is what your life was 
was like before you met Jesus, that you were proud and arrogant and you were celebrating things and then you become a Christian and you realize those things are actually the reasons that Jesus had to die. Wow, that was so bad. God actually had to give his only son to die for those things. Lord, forgive me. I'm glad that you did, but I can't believe that I celebrated and lived in those things. Your glory was actually your shame. Jesus comes and dies to remove the shame, to give you his glory, to be able to live a new life. That their God was their belly, their glory is their shame, and you end up living and setting your mind on things of this earth. If you're looking for joy in the things of this world, you will be perennially disappointed, and in the end, it will lead to destruction. Because the things of this world are like grass that withers and flowers fade, and one day they will all be gone. And if you end in that destruction, you will be gone with it as well. It does not end. There is no life. There is no flourishing. There is no joy to be found in that. And I know that because that's my story as well. That before I met Jesus, my life was backwards. It was jacked. I was a hopeless, drunk, punk rock kid, had nothing to live for, suicidal and anxious to the point that I wanted to die. And I was living for myself and there was no joy found in that. And then Jesus found me in my shame. He removes it and he gave me a new life. And I've been following Jesus now for over a decade and I can wholeheartedly tell you that my life is a lot better today than it was the day before I met Jesus. The day I met Jesus, everything in my life changes. And I've been pursuing and following after him and I can tell you that God has never disappointed me. God has never let me down. God has never failed me. God has never given up on me and God has always been right there with me and my life is better today because God's way is the best way. The biggest decision you will ever make in your life is will you live in the culture or will you live in the kingdom? Paul says, follow me because I found the best way. I found the greatest way. I found the greatest thing and living in the kingdom has led not only to the greatest quality of life but I have something. Even in anxiety, I have joy because I live in the kingdom of God. And he moves on to the the next point, the next big decision you have to make. Number one is this, will you live in the kingdom or will you live in the culture? And number two is will you help people or will you hurt people? Let's just be honest, that sometimes the greatest point of stress and worry that we experience in our life comes from other people that our relationships tend to lead to the greatest anxiety in our lives. And what we've experienced is that when there's something happening in one area of our life, it begins to bleed over and impact and affect other areas. So if you have a bad day at work, well, you're going to bring that home with you. And if you have a bad day at home, well, guess what? You're bringing that to work with you as well. And so we need to learn how to deal and heal with our anxiety when it comes to relationships. So Paul's going to move on and he's going to talk about relationships. Number one, will you live in the kingdom of the culture? And number two, will you help people or hurt people? Here's what he says in chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. That's his nickname for the church. He loves them. He's their pastor. And even when he's hurting, he's trying to help them. And so he's going to help them by talking about two women who are having a conflict, a disagreement in the church. Here's what he says in verse two. I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. There's a fight between these two women in the church. Now, Paul doesn't tell us what the fight's about. He doesn't mention as a sin, so it probably wasn't anything disqualifying or anything that actually needed to be dealt with in a church disciplining manner, but it does make it into the Bible because there is division, there's disagreement, there's a conflict between these two women. And then he tells them, agree where? In the circumstance? No. Agree on whose fault it was? No. Agree on who's to blame? No. He says, agree in the Lord. Because if we have the Lord in common, everything else is negotiable. He says, agree in the Lord. Do you love Jesus? Yes. Do you love Jesus? Yes. Okay, well, then we can figure this out together. He says, when there is a conflict between two people, make sure that they agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women. There's the word, help them. They're hurting each other, so let's give them some help. Who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, when we read the Bible, we typically do it different than what they would do. Whenever they would read the Bible, 
they would get together as a congregation. The pastor would stand up and say, hey guys, everybody come here, come here. Hey, we got a book of the Bible written to us. We made the Bible, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. So everybody come in here and the whole congregation gathers and they would sit down and they would say, okay, let's read it all up front. And they would start in verse one and they would begin reading and what's it about? Oh, it's about joy, yay, joy. What does he say about us? He says, we're his joy and his Christ crown. He calls us his beloved. Guys, we got a nickname. He calls us the beloved. I love that guy. Pastor Paul, he's so great. Does he mention anybody by name? Yeah, he talks about uh, Timothy and Epaphrodites. Hey, guys, good job. Yeah. Anybody else? Udia. Yeah, we heard about Udia. Yeah, we've been, we know about that. That's not very good. And then you hear in the back, a woman go, Udia told you. Udia, Udia, Udino. Hey, Udia. And they're like, silence. They're like, this is awkward. And then he goes, oh, and Syntyche. Like, dope. It's got to be pretty awkward to make the Bible as a negative example, right? I mean, here are these two great women who make the Bible for a negative example. Awkward. It might have been awkward for them, but it's actually really good for us because it's going to teach us a great example about finding joy even when we're anxious. And here's what the example is. If you don't talk it out, you will act it out. See, these two ladies, they didn't talk about it. They talked about everyone else. They went around and they started saying, hey, here's Udia's problems and here's what Udia's doing and here's what Udia said and here's what Udia's done. And then Syntyche's over here and she's talking about everything that she did and Syntyche did and they're saying, mm, she tried to sing that verse on It Is So and I just don't think she hit that verse. And oh, she's wanting to sing Oceans and we haven't played that song since 2016. I can't believe her. And then there's a big fight between the two of them and because they didn't talk it out, guess what they began doing? They began to act it out and they their anxiousness doesn't just affect them. Eventually, it bottles up and it overflows and it begins to affect everybody else. Because if you don't talk about it, you will act it out. Uh, married couples, you definitely understand this. Like, I know when my wife is mad at me and she doesn't even have to tell me. I know. I'll be like, hey, babe, are you okay? And she's going to be like, yes, I am fine. I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, you don't seem fine. It seems like something's wrong. She's like, nope, I'm fine. I can tell when my wife is mad at me because of the way that she walks. I can hear her walking around the house. I've been with her 11 years. I know her foot sounds. <laughs> when she walks, it's like, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. And then she'll pick up a plate and then she'll set it down and be like, you set that plate down very aggressively. Because if you don't talk it out, you act it out. I know when my wife's mad at me by the way that she texts me. Okay, because when we're texting back and forth all day, it's little kissy emojis and memes and we're just goofing off and she has no understanding of grammar at all. But the moment she's mad at me, perfect punctuation. That girl knows where the comma goes and she puts a period at the end of every sentence. And when I see that comma and that period, I know I'm in trouble. Okay, because if we don't talk it out, we'll begin to act it out. And here's what I've discovered in life is that you typically hurt the people you love the most. The closer you are to somebody, the easier it is to hurt them. The closer you are to somebody, the easier it is to hurt them. And when there's an area of hurt in one life, you carry that burden over to other areas and then you begin to hurt the people that you love the most. Just think about it. Who do you get in the most fights with? It's probably your spouse. Who do you get angry with and frustrated with the most? It's probably your spouse, maybe a friend, roommate, or maybe even your kids. See, I don't fight with the girl who works at CVS. You know why? Because I'm not close to her. You ever notice you don't get in arguments with your cashier or the person who works at the gas station? No, but coworkers, classmates, roommates, spouses, best friends, those are the people you hurt the most because those are the people you're closest to. And Paul says, we want to help people. We don't want to be hurting them. So he says, hey, get Clement, our true companion, sit them down together, and let's have the awkward conversation Let's have that conversation to be able to bring reconciliation into the relationship because life is too short to hold grudges against people that you are called to love. Don't hurt people, help people. 
The church should be a place that helps people experience healing. When we're anxious, we need to deal with it so that way we can get the healing that we need. This is a beautiful picture of what gospel reconciliation actually looks like. This is a great example of kingdom versus culture living. Because culture living would say, bring war to them, go fight with them, criticize, complain, gossip about them, destroy their relationship before they destroy you. Or culture would say, well, I want nothing to do with it. I'm going to run away. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to pretend it never happened. And I'm going to kill the relationship before it kills me. But kingdom says, no, 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 no. Jesus died for this so we don't have to kill each other. That Jesus laid down his life so I don't have to pick up my weapons. I can actually lay down my weapons and I can begin to love the way that Jesus loved me. This is the way that the gospel works. That gospel reconciliation is not just between you and God. It's also between you and others. See, whenever sin first entered in the world, it severed the relationship between God, but Adam and Eve, our first parents, their relationship was also severed as well. So that way Adam began to blame his wife for his sin, and then Eve, she began to criticize and blame her husband. And there was a severed relationship between the two of them. But Jesus comes in to restore restore the relationship with God, but also to restore the relationship with others. This is why he says, agree in the Lord. You may never agree on the circumstances, but you can agree in the Lord. You may never agree on what was said or done, but you do need to agree on the Lord because when you have Jesus in common, everything else is flexible and everything else is variables, but you need to first agree in the Lord. We actually had a very similar situation to this happen not too long ago in our church. Two great leaders who loved Jesus, but they were having conflict between one another. And it had gone on for a while and they never talked about it. They began to act it out until one day we sat it down and we began to have the conversation. And as we began to have that conversation, they realized that there was humility that needed to be had. There was sin that needed to be repented of, and there was prayer and relationship that needed to take place. But we started with agreeing in the Lord. And then as we did, the Holy Spirit moved into that conversation. They received the healing that they needed. And then they began to work towards this gospel reconciliation. It's a beautiful picture of the type of place that a church is supposed to be. Instead of anxiety, we want to be a place that brings healing, hope, health, and joy to one another. If you have a Yudia in your life, could you do me a favor? After this sermon is over, could you text him and call him and can you begin to agree in the Lord together? If you have a Syntikia in your life, could you text him, call him? If there is relational strain between somebody that you love, life is too short to hold grudges. Forgive them, get up, keep moving, help people instead of hurting them. Anxiety comes from relationships, but the church should not be that way. We shouldn't hurt people. We should bring healing and help them because ultimately the church is a place where we should worship. And it's hard to worship when you're in anxiety. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is going to talk next. He's going to tell us that we have a choice, a big decision to make. And that is when we are anxious, will we choose faith or fear? And will we choose to worship or will we choose to worry? When you're feeling anxiety, and then I tell you, find joy. You might actually feel a little bit more anxiety about that. You're like, find joy when I'm anxious, I'm anxious, and now you're telling me not to be anxious, and oh, I'm even more anxious. Okay, Paul's going to tell you how you can find joy even when you're anxious, and here's what he says in verse 4. You ready? You're not going to believe it. It's going to blow your mind. Here's what he's going to say. Rejoice. Right, you want to find joy? How about you start rejoicing because your joy is your choice, right? Rejoice, keep singing, keep worshiping, keep praising, keep throwing parties in your heart. Just rejoice. Say, but I don't feel like it. Exactly. That's why you need to do it. I've discovered in my life when I don't feel like it, that's when I need it. When I don't want to do it, that's when I need it the most. Rejoice, keep singing, keep worshiping. When and where should you rejoice? Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. How often should you rejoice? Always. Always rejoice in the Lord. You say, always sounds like a long, a long time. It is. Keep rejoicing. Keep singing. That can't possibly be what it means. I can't believe Paul would just keep saying rejoice in the Lord always. I don't like that. What does always mean in the Greek? Do you know what it means in the Greek? 
always. Oh, well, you don't know my life. You don't know what I'm going through. Sure, it's easy for Paul to write in prison, but he doesn't know what my circumstances is. Yeah, he's the apostle Paul. I'm just, I'm just a little old me. I can't rejoice in the Lord. Listen, I love you, but he knew you were going to argue with him. And so he's going to say it again. Rejoice. Keep rejoicing in the Lord. Let me tell you this. The reason we rejoice in the Lord is not because of our circumstances. It's because he is a savior. The reason we rejoice in the Lord is not because of our situations. It's because he grants to us salvation, that we're rejoicing in the Lord because no matter how bad life gets, God is always good. And because God is always good, we can go to him and rejoice in him. And he's always going to give us joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord always because God is always good. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything. There's our word. The most downloaded verse in the Bible. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your reasonableness or let your requests rather be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we first started this series, I'll be honest with you, we got a little bit of pushback from some other people. And they said it was insensitive for us to start a series over joy when so many people are hurting and suffering and worried and anxious. And it didn't seem right to be telling people, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, when so many people were suffering. And the reason for that is, kingdom versus culture living because culture living would say everybody freak out everybody have fear everybody worry kingdom thinking says instead of freaking out we're going to find faith instead of worrying we're going to worship because we know that our God is bigger than anything that we go through our God is greater than any circumstance that we face our God is has more joy than this life has bad and so when we're running low on joy, we're going to keep running to Jesus because Jesus always gives us joy. And so when you need joy, you need to rejoice in the Lord. He can tell you to rejoice in the Lord because God is an infinite supply of joy. That God's default position is one of goodness, of gladness, of cheer, of delight, and of rejoicing. And because God's always rejoicing, you can go to him and he's going to give you joy. He never runs out of joy. God's joy is an essential business. He is always open and always distributing joy to you. You may run out of joy. God's never going to run out of joy, so you run to him. H-E-B may run out of hand sanitizer, but God is never going to run out of joy. The government may run out of stimulus checks, but God is never going to run out of joy. You can run to him. Parents, you might run out of patience with your kids, but God is never going to run out of joy for you. And so when you need joy, that's when you need Jesus. Keep rejoicing in the Lord. We're not rejoicing in the circumstances. We're rejoicing in spite of the circumstances. This is why I've been telling you this, that joy is not circumstantial. Joy is supernatural. That joy doesn't come from in here. Joy comes from up there down to us so joy can begin to flow through us so that way we can experience the joy that he has for us. And instead of joy, what many of us experience is anxiety, that we begin to worry, we become fearful, we become afraid. The number one command in the Bible is fear not. Other variables say be anxious for nothing. Some 150 times in your Bible, it says fear not, fear not. Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. Do you know why the Bible says that all the time? Because it's something that we all struggle with. That you and me and everyone who's ever lived struggles with anxiety, fear, and worry. And we struggle with it in different aspects. That what may be a big deal for you might not be a big deal for me. 
And what I struggle with may not be what you struggle with. So some people, you struggle with finances. Other people, you don't really struggle or worry about your finances. Maybe you should. Maybe you should get a budget. But maybe that's not your thing. Maybe your thing is your kids. Maybe your thing is your job. Maybe your thing is temptation or sin. Maybe your thing is parents. Maybe your thing is past traumas that you've gone through in your life. And then there's certain triggers that set up the shame cycle of anxiety. And that's your trigger. And what we can't do is we can't go around and say, oh, that's not really that big of a deal for you. You're anxious for that. That's nothing. That's actually not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is really getting at is we need to be honest. We need to be sensitive and we need to be understanding that what you go through may not be what I go through, but there is a way for us to find joy even when we're in the middle of it instead of experiencing anxiety. And I love you. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to give you a definition of what anxiety actually is. And so if you're writing notes, take this down. Here's what anxiety is. Anxiety is imagining a future where God is not faithful. Let me say that again. Anxiety is imagining a future where God is not faithful. Anxiety says, what if, what if, what if, what if this happens? What if this goes wrong? What if I get sick? What if she leaves me? What if I lose my job? What if, what if, what if? And when anxiety is going and you're saying, what if, what if, you're creating a future where God is not faithful. And that is fear and that is worry That is anxiety. And what Paul tells us to do is, instead of worrying, worship. And here's what the difference between worry and worship. Anxiety would say, what if? But worship says, even if. Even if this happens, I know God is good. Even if this goes wrong, I know God is great. Even if the worst happens in my life, God is still good. God is still true. God is still on the throne. And so I can go to him and he is with me. He is for me. He is there for me. And God is good. It's not denying your problems. It's bringing your problems to him. Saying that our God is bigger. Our God is greater. Our God has more good than this life has bad. And so I'm going to keep going to him. I'm going to keep singing to him. I'm going to keep rejoicing to him because no matter how bad it gets, God's got good for me. This is the way in which we are to worship. And I want to encourage you with this redemption. I love you. I want to encourage you with this. God does not need your worship. You say, what? Yeah, God does not need your worship. You need to worship because you need God. God's not, it's not like God's in heaven and he's going to cease existing if we stop worshiping him. Okay, that's not the way that it works. God's not up in heaven going, oh my, I'm going to run out of my God powers if they don't sing me another song. That's not what God's saying. God doesn't need our worship. We need to worship God because here's what it does. It may not change our circumstances, but it brings God's presence into that circumstance. So that way we know we're not alone. We need to bring God into our problems so we can experience his presence. And we worship him, not for what he does, but for who he is. God doesn't need our worship. We need worship because ultimately we need God. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you, from this text, five ways for you to choose worship over worry and find joy in anxiety. The first way is this, is feelings are meant to be felt but they're not meant to be followed. He says in verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. When you're emotional, you tend to be unreasonable. Let's just be honest. You don't make the best decisions when you're emotional, amen? Right, you don't make the best decisions because you're unreasonable. Your feelings are very real. He's not telling you to deny your feelings. He's not saying for you to be emotionally unavailable or numb. He's not saying for you to be naive. He's encouraging you to believe. He wants you to know that that your feelings are meant to be felt. Actually, emotions are from God. God designed emotions. It's not like Adam and Eve were robots in the garden. No, there are good emotions. Emotions can be a good thing, like love and joy and happiness and, and, and experiencing life is a good thing. When my daughter Ruth was born, I was filled with emotions. But emotions can also go in another direction, where they can be anxious and fearful and afraid and cause great pain. 
Emotions are to be felt. Feelings are meant to be felt. That's why they call them feelings. They're not meant to be followed. Because when you follow your feelings, it can lead you in a direction that is opposite of your faith. Let me give you an illustration to better help you understand this. I heard a pastor say this not too long ago, and I thought it was really good, so I would steal it. Okay, here's what he says. He says that your emotions are like a sail, and when the wind blows, it fills the cells, and it's very powerful, and it can lead you in a direction, but it can also lead you off course where you capsize, and eventually you will drown. And so instead of just having a sail, which is your emotions, you also need to have a rudder, which is your faith, your feelings and your faith. So when those big gusts of emotions come in, you have a rudder of faith that's going to keep you going into the right direction. We shouldn't follow our feelings. We should feel our feelings and we should follow our faith. That's why he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The second thing he wants you to know is that anxiety is an alarm clock reminding us to pray. Anxiety is an alarm clock. You know what the most annoying sound in the world is? An alarm clock. Eh, 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 eh. You know that sound. You hate it. So why do you walk around carrying it every single day of your life? That's what anxiety is. He says, be anxious for nothing but to pray about everything. And so if you're to be anxious about nothing, that means you can pray about everything. Every time that anxiety starts going off, that's an alarm that signals it's time for you to pray. And the good thing is you can pray about everything. You can pray about work. You can pray about your kids. You can pray about school. You can pray about life. You can pray about your fears. You could pray about your finances. You can pray about your marriage. You can pray about everything, whatever it is. When you begin to feel anxious, that's an alarm signaling that it's time for you to pray. Don't walk around with that alarm clock. Pray about everything. Number three is to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. One of the lessons we've been learning throughout all of Philippians is that you find what you're looking for. If you're looking to be disappointed, you're going to find a disappointment. If you're looking to be frustrated, you're going to find frustration. If you're looking to pick a fight, guess what you're going to find? You will find a fight. But if you're looking for joy, then you can also find joy. And if you're looking for a reason to be grateful, you can always find a reason to be grateful. He says that you can make every prayer with supplication and with thanksgiving. That you're to give thanks to the Lord because not everything in your life is bad. Not everything in your life is wrong. There's some other parts of your life where God really is blessing and God is really doing some good. And if all you're doing is looking at the negative, you're not going to see the positive and you're going to become ungrateful towards the Lord. Instead, you need to cultivate an attitude of gratitude and of thankfulness. This is what we do at our dinner table. When we sit around the dinner table every night, we do two things. We ask, what's your high? What's your low? Okay, sometimes they just want to go straight to the low. My wife or Esther, they're, Ruth can't talk yet, so she, every day's a good day for her. But they're like, here's my low of the day. I want to do that at the office. Here's my low of the day. But we make each other start with the high. What was the good thing that God did in your life today so you can begin to see his blessings and his miracles around you? Start with the high, and then you can go to the low. But start with the high. Cultivate an attitude of gratitude. The fourth thing is this. Get honest with God. He says, let your requests be made known to God. There is nothing that you can go to God and present towards him that he is going to be shocked by. Okay, just want you to know, God knows everything. Okay, some people, they don't want to let the request be known to God because they think if they do, well, then God's going to be shocked by what they're asking or what they're telling him. They're like, I'm so anxious. I can't go and tell God what I'm really feeling because then he's going to know and he's going to be mad at me. Okay, just let you know, God's already seen everything. Everything, right? God, there's nothing that has ever happened where God was like, oh my me, I can't believe they did that. Hey, Holy Ghost, come over here. Did Was that your job, Jesus? You missed one. Like, no, that's not what God's doing up in heaven. Paul says, you can let your requests be made known to God. Do you know why? Because God cares. That if it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. God 
cares. So be honest with him. Go to him. Tell him exactly how you're feeling. Go to him. Complain to him. Gripe at him. Yell at him. Bring your problems to him. God is big enough to handle it. God is big enough to handle the pain and the hurt and the heartache that you're experiencing. He already knows it. He just wants to hear it. See, some people, they wonder, how come God's not speaking to me? Why isn't God saying anything to me? God is silent. God is not listening. He's quiet. Here, Paul says that it's your job to let your requests be made known to God. Maybe the reason God is quiet in this season is because God is actually listening, and he's ready, and he's waiting, and he's wanting for you to come and be honest with him. When was the last time you were honest with God? When was the last time you set up a meeting or an appointment and you got alone with him? No distractions, no burdens that were going to weigh you down and hinder you from coming into his presence and having a meeting with him. When was the last time you got honest with God? Maybe today is the day for you to do that. Let your request be made known to God. And then the last thing he tells us is this, is that peace is not the absence of problems, but is the fullness of God's presence. He goes on and he says, and let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, you and me, we think that many times God should get us around it, but God doesn't always get us around it. And as we're praying and we're worrying, we think, God, would you prevent it? But God doesn't always prevent it. A lot of times, God wants to be present with us, even in the middle of it, so that way we can begin to experience his peace. As we've been studying the book of Mark at Redemption, there's two stories in Mark. There's a story in Mark where the the disciples are out on on sea, and there's a great storm that comes in. Everything's dark and Everything becomes fearful and afraid, and they begin to worry. And Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat. And they go and they get him, and they say, Master, Master, there's a storm. We're going to die. And Jesus stands up. He rebukes the storm. He says, Peace be still. And the storm, it stops. We love that story. There's a few chapters later again in Mark, a very similar situation, but Jesus is not in the boat with him. Instead, as the storm goes, they're rowing against the wind and they're rowing and they're rowing and they're rowing and they're not getting anywhere. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking on the water. And as Jesus walks on the water, he doesn't calm the storm, he calms them. He walks through the storm to be with them. This is a picture of what Jesus is doing in this season of our lives. That there is a peace that comes only with his presence. And peace is not the absence of pain or problems, but peace comes from his presence with us, even in the middle of it. This is why it says it's a peace that passes all understanding. There is a peace that comes with the presence of God that doesn't make sense. There is a peace that comes from the goodness of God that doesn't make sense because there is a peace that only God can give. That's exactly what Paul is speaking about. That whenever we worship, we're experiencing his presence, which means we begin to experience his peace. You say, how is this possible? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Be anxious for nothing. Peace that passes understanding. How in the world is this possible? The secret to it all is found in verse five, where he says, because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. That's the Lord Jesus Christ that Jesus is with you even in the middle of it, that Jesus is for you even in the anxiety. The book of Hebrews says that we do not serve a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us even in our weakness. This is the one thing that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world, that we have a God who came into the middle of it, We have a God who served and we have a God who suffered and we had a God who have experienced tremendous anxiety. The Lord is at hand. He knows exactly what you're going through because he went through it. Jesus had relational strains. Jesus had friends who denied him, who betrayed him. He had somebody who stabbed him in the back. Jesus was poor. Jesus was homeless. Jesus had family issues. Jesus experienced tremendous loss in his life. He understands what anxiety is. That's the reason you can rejoice in him. 
because we do not serve a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. And Paul says, the Lord is at hand, that he is with you, he is near to you, he is for you, he is right there with you. And so do not imagine a future where God is not faithful. That is the opposite of worship. That is worry. Do not imagine a future where God is not faithful. He has never failed you yet. He has never given up on you yet. He has never forsaken you. He has never abandoned you. He has always been right there with you. And because he is with you, you can rejoice in him. You can keep worshiping him. You can keep singing to him. You can keep praising him because no matter how bad life gets, God is always good. Keep rejoicing in the Lord always. And I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Even when you're anxious, you can go to the Lord and you can find joy. Listen, this is the most downloaded verse in the Bible because this is the most needed verse for us today. To find joy even when we're feeling anxious. And there's a lot of people who can quote this verse who don't know it. There's a lot of people who have this verse memorized, but they don't have it internalized. We say the Bible is trustworthy and true. Therefore, it's timeless. It's always timely. And I believe this is a right on time word for many of us, myself included. This is something that I have really wrestled and struggled with for a lot of my life. You know, this isn't the first time I've actually preached the book of Philippians. I actually preached this book whenever we first opened the church. It was one of the first sermon series that we ever did. And as I'm preaching through it, I realized I didn't really have a lot of joy. I had information about joy, but I haven't experienced transformation, true joy that comes from the Lord. That I could quote the verses, but I didn't know them in my heart. That joy to me was just good advice, and I hadn't yet experienced it as good news. And as soon as we finished this book the first time, I was getting ready to go on vacation with my my wife, and the night before we went on vacation, I'm laying in bed, and all of a sudden, there's a great anxiety that comes over me. It's about two o'clock in the morning. I wake up with incredible chest pains, pain in my shoulder, pain in my neck. I can't breathe, and I think, oh my God, I'm fixing to die. I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm going to be dead. And I roll over and I look at my wife and she's out. She's out. I'm like, I don't want to bother her because this might be her last night to actually get a good night's sleep. Because if she rolls over in the morning, I'm going to be dead. So I didn't wake her up. I just laid there. Can't breathe, can't breathe, can't breathe. And then when I woke up, I, I went to talk to my grandmother, who's actually a nurse. And I began to explain to her my symptoms. And she said, that's not a heart attack. That's a panic attack. I had just got through preaching the book of Philippians about finding joy, and I suffer from panic attacks because it began building and building and building and building, and I had verses of joy memorized, but I didn't live a life of joy because I was carrying the burden instead of bringing the burdens to the Lord. I was carrying the weight of worry on my shoulders instead of transferring the worry through worship towards the Lord. I had information about joy, but I hadn't experienced the life-changing, transforming work of the gospel that brings great joy into my soul. And so after that moment, we began to make changes in our life and our family to be able to get help, to be able to seek counseling, to be able to get the help that we need, and it's produced a greater quality of life for us. And my prayer is that it would produce a greater quality of life for you as well. So here's what I want to do as we close. I just want to read to you this next section of verses, and I want that to be a prayer over you, that I want you to understand who God is. I want you to understand what God wants, that you would have great joy. And so here's where Paul goes after this little application for us. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, I want you to think about these things. When your mind goes to a dark place, I want you to think about God. When your mind goes to worry, I want you to think about how great God is. When your mind goes to a place where you don't know what to do and you don't know what's going on, look to who he is. And he says this, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is honorable, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, 
think about these things. See, they tell you that anxiety starts in the mind and then manifests itself in the body. My mind had been so anxious, it manifests itself in panic and anxiety attacks in my body. And the same thing comes from joy. That what you believe about God determines the way you behave and live your life. It starts in the mind. This is why the Greek word for repentance is metanoia, which is a change of mind. It's a change of thinking. It's a change of your life direction. There needs to be a change of your thinking to break the patterns and cycles of anxiety and experience the great joy that God has for you. Whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, of worship, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Redemption, I don't want you just to download the verse. I want God to download these words into your soul so that way you would experience it that you would know it, not just in your head, but you would know it in your hearts, that these wouldn't just be words on a paper, good advice to live a good life, but this would be good news to live the life that God always has for you, the life of joy. Redemption, the scriptures are not just information, they're transformation. It's not just good advice, it's good news. This is a trustworthy word, which means it's a timely word. And if you're watching today, and this is a timely word for you, we wanna pray for you. Where's a link in the comment section right now? I want you to click on that link, send us an email, and our team's gonna reach out to you, and we wanna pray for you because we don't want you to go through this alone. God has a great joy for you. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.